Hi everyone, this is the seventh episode of the Pedal Podcast and this is a first now because I'm talking to Sam Jones, who's a pro player and um, just a little bit of an intro as usually what you expect of me. Um, he is the second best British player in the UK. Uh, he's from Essex. Uh, he left his home at 16 and went on to train and compete in the United Arab Emirates, Barcelona, Marbella. And now he is living, partly living in Madrid, in the Spanish capital and also in the UK. As uh, one of the best players in the UK pedal, he is an avid traveler um, and he's on an upward journey in the sport, uh, which is obviously now making a lot of moves. At a professional level, Sam is an ambitious individual driven to reach the highest echelons of world pedal. Um, and also at grassroots level, he wants to teach his learnings to others and encourage other young people in the UK and other new paddle nations to take up this incredible accelerating sport. This little intro was composed by Paddle22 and Ben Nichols. So that's um, how you get to know Sam. And he's a lovely, lovely individual, as you can hear it from uh, our chat. And please do stay after the outro, please, because um, I've got some um, quite exciting news, uh, which I want to tell you about, but I didn't want to say it in the beginning of the podcast. Now, please do enjoy. And as always, let us know what you thought. Hi, everyone. This is the seventh episode of the Pedal Podcast, and I have the privilege to have Sam Jones with me today. And um, welcome, and thank you very much for accepting my invite. No, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> it was um, um, Ben Nichols, um, who's uh, your sort of helper with communications. If I'm yeah, yeah, he um, he was the one who who we were joking about it as well. That we um, <laughs> he was on our, both our backs. That we should be really uh, getting this one together. So yeah. I'm quite happy that finally this happened. We finally got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So it's unbelievable. Okay, so um, you're the first pro player. Um, who's who's on the pod so i will have a lot of questions because uh you know i'm i'm a sort of an ex semi-pro in tennis so i i pretty much know how that works in tennis no i know it how it works not just from firsthand but you know I, i've been in tennis my whole life so yeah. uh, okay so first of all that's that's always the same question which i start every podcast with how did you get into paddle um well like most people from around europe and and kind of I got I got into tennis. That was my first sport. I played tennis since I was about three years old. And that was my my only sort of focus. So I was training in tennis. And then I went to Spain a lot to uh to train for tennis. And then obviously in Spain it's much bigger than it is in England. And and there was always paddle courts and we'd always warm up on the paddle court just to warm up the hands, the little the movements and just sort of touch and feel and just sort of um on the paddle court before tennis. And as so I kind of had like a little idea of what it was when it came to England but I never really sort of any took took no I took no notice of it and I never really um you know thought of it as anything more than just a little warm-up sort of knockabout and uh when it when about 14 15 years old it came to David Lloyd Chigwell which is my home club where I play tennis and and I kind of started off by playing maybe one time a week one time every two weeks and just playing for a bit of fun but I was still my, my focus was completely in tennis I was still training 
in tennis and trying to go as far as I could in tennis. And then maybe by the end of the year, I was playing more paddle than tennis. Like just throughout the year, it kind of I I took a, a love to it and I, I started playing more and more. And um, it was just so fun. Like I was kind of getting to the point with tennis where I was playing because I was quite good at it and I've done it since I was young, not really because I was enjoying going to it, you know? And in paddle, I was looking, it was something new, it was something fun, it was quite social, a lot of um, fun points and interactive with your, like a lot of like the volley volleys and the sort of, that was, it was just so fun to play something new. And, and that's how I got into it was because it came to, it was quite lucky really, it came to my local club and I had a, a good coach um, called Frankie who got me, uh, into it and he was at the time he was really you know a, a great player and um, yeah that's how I got into it just through um, luck almost but then I took it uh, more and more serious out of the year. What was your best ranking in tennis? Um, I got to number one in Essex under 14 but I stopped at 14-15 so I never really took it far enough to have a, a proper ITF ranking or playing the, the junior the junior futures or the ITFs and, and nothing like that. So my best ranking was good in Essex, but I never competed like around England or sort of anywhere, you know, to a good level. No, but, you know, Essex is is quite a good uh, um, place to, to play some tennis. So I, I think you would have done pretty well. Um... Actually, funny enough, uh, today I played um, for the first time in about three, four years. I had like a, a little hit in tennis um, and it's so fun to to smack a ball again in, in paddle you're so controlled and small swings and and sort of like touch and and in tennis you can just you have the freedom to big swing slap the ball and it's just nice to sort of release that that aggressiveness that you have sometimes in paddle that you can't do because sometimes in paddle you know slower is, is is better the the only thing is the smash where you can really yeah exactly un yeah, unleash yeah, yeah. the devil yeah <laughs> yeah but I, I look i mean i i do a hundred percent appreciate on what you say about tennis and paddle because I'm I'm in in um, the on the road myself, not becoming a, a paddle player per se. I mean, apart from the fact that I'm I'm competing in like local level and maybe I will I will play some seniors here and there and everywhere and and we'll we'll see where where it leads me. But I do a hundred percent appreciate on what you say about tennis and and what I can also say is that please don't let tennis go completely because tennis is a great sport. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> so... It's funny because today I played for the first time in a, in a while and it's, it's like, why haven't I played in so long? I had a great time. I, I loved it. You know, it was, it was, I, I'm, I'm very rusty obviously and, and a bit inconsistent, but it was just so nice to be back out there running around. And I tell you what is you forget how, how hard how, I've been, what I follow tennis. I watch it a lot and, and I do enjoy, you know, I still, I still love tennis, but I, you forget how, hard it is to cover a court that size you're so used to in paddle kind of you've got half of half a tennis court to cover you know so you're kind of in your little zone and obviously the rallies last quite a bit longer than tennis I'd say and, and it's hard to finish the point and there's a lot of running backwards and forwards but then I play tennis for about an hour and a bit today and just running left and right I, I, I admire now Alcaraz and Djokovic even more for how well they they cover the court it'd be scary if they played paddle they would they would make it look easy, the movement, that's for sure. Yeah, the movement maybe. Uh, although uh, there's a there's a lot of pictures emerging, and I'm pretty sure you've seen uh, Federer on a paddle court. Yeah, uh, Rafa just um, 
emerged on a paddle court just a couple of days ago. So that was quite fun to see. And uh, and look, what we spoke about, I had uh, Christina Clément in the last episode, and um, and she was the uh, the main coach or the first coach of Tia Norton. And um, and she was saying that, yeah, you have to forget that you have the tennis movement when you're playing paddle. And that's why I think both things can actually work alongside each other because it's a completely different movement. It's a completely different swing. And as soon as you you master, you know, the uh, all these all these I always say the bandeja and, and obviously you have the vibora and all those all those shots, yeah. master them. There's not a shot in tennis which is similar. Yeah, you can you can sort of cut the smash and then it's it's sort of like a bandeja in a way but you don't yeah. really go under the ball as in paddles. no 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 so yeah no, I, I i do 100 percent agree on what you say and 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 i do and i do appreciate um and and that's all i can say that i'm i'm funnily enough my week looks like i'm gonna play some paddle tonight and then i'm playing tennis tomorrow then i'm, I'm yeah happy. no it's good to do both for sure yeah it's yeah so absolutely absolutely and so, i think yeah. they can complement each other like especially from tennis to paddle if you if you can move or have the fitness to to play tennis comfortably then paddle you'll you'll really be you watch like some tennis players cross over kind of once their tennis careers is kind of over they're sort of maybe like their late 20s early 30s and they kind of made the jump from tennis to paddle they may not have the right shots or the right um the slice on the volleys or the bandeca or the or the bibra like you say but what they have is they're so fast at covering the court and getting back to the net and getting behind the ball that it's, it helps you massively um, in learning how to play because the movement side of it or the fitness, the speed of it is, is an easy jump, easy cross um, from tennis. So there's, def there's definitely, uh, you know, it can definitely help each other. Both of them can. Last question about tennis. Uh, were you actually playing with a head in tennis as well? Uh, no, Babalat. Rafa Nadal was my like he was the man in my eyes. So I wore, you know, when I was younger, I had the bandana, the bright orange t-shirts, even the three-quarter length shorts at one point, um, the wristbands, all, all the gear. And and because he used Babalat, I was very much a Babalat man. Yeah, I mean, I I can I can relate because uh, my my hero when I was growing up, my hero was Sampras, but. Um, okay. Yeah, we we are a different generation. Funny, funny, funny enough to say that, but but yeah, I mean, uh, Rafa became my favorite after after Roddick actually. So uh, so yeah, I, I can I can one hundred percent relate. Yeah. So how much do you train per week? So how does that look like for for uh, we we can call you a pro, right? So you do. Yeah, actually... yeah, yeah. I mean, this is my my life. Yeah. Okay. So how many times do you train per week? Um, okay, so obviously right now I'm in a little bit of a transition phase because I'm can't be in, in one place sort of you know full time right now. I'm I'm kind of flicking between Spain and England, but I've had many different training camps and sort of academies that I've been to. For example, the most the most intense I've I've done was in Barcelona from about uh, eighteen I would say to twenty two, um, and that was I I think about six seven hours a day. That was gym twice a day and paddle twice a day which was very intense. I don't think you need to train that much. I, I'd say it was, I mean, it was when I was incredibly fit, um, but sometimes you can overwork your body and you can almost do too much to where you lose the the love of of the sport. And in in, in a way, um, I, I, I left Barcelona right there or thereabouts kind of during COVID, like kind of COVID happened I had to go back to England uh, for lockdown and sort of just to, I wasn't alone uh, for, the, for the next few months um, 
And it was so nice to take a break from everything. And it made me realize that I was almost burnt out after sort of waking up at, at sort of seven in the morning, training nine to 11 paddle, 11 till one fitness, then one till 2.30 lunch, then 2.30 to four paddle, four till 5.30 fitness every single day. And you get to the point where it's so repetitive and it, and it almost becomes like a, a chore. And it, this shouldn't feel like a chore. You should do it because you you love to wake up and improve and play paddle. And it kind of got to the point where I I was like, well, I'm going to train today because that's that's what I do. That's like it, it literally felt like how a, a sort of 50 year old man going into the office because that's his life. That's kind of how I, I felt. And it should never feel like that because playing sport as a as a light as my lifestyle or my my job is amazing. You know, it's so much better than sitting in an office and, and looking at a computer screen every single day. So kind of COVID came about. It took me, um, you know, it was so nice to take a break, to stop, to sort of just be at home and, and have a little break from paddle and exercise and, and gym and, and everything. And then I kind of refound that love and that um, focus and desire and to, to train again. And then so I moved to um, Dubai, funnily enough, and then my training there was way less uh, intense and not so much like a school. It was more wake up, did a, a a bit of gym, and and then and then paddle. But right in Madrid, where I was just at the last few months, my my schedule there was paddle once a day and gym twice a day. So every day, sort of maybe three and a half hours a day, four hours a day. Um, the gym one session was quite hard and intense and then the next one was a bit more sort of strength and conditioning and sort of injury prevention and and that's also a real key aspect of sport is the recovery and the sort of stretching and the injury prevention because even though I didn't think of it or think it until a few months ago um, it's just as important to keep your body healthy and and in in a good place otherwise you're always going to be getting injured and a few niggles and a few sort of um, aches and pains yeah, so that was my schedule every day, paddle an hour and a half a day and gym maybe two to two hours and a half, two and a half hours a day. That's quite intense. But I guess if if you want to really make it in any sport, you you really have to. Yeah, you've got to put your time and effort yeah. and it doesn't come easy. You know, you've got to spend a lot of hours. On oh, yeah, 100%. And... How does the, the training and, and before I ask that question, I wanted to put it here, but I just forgot that I really loved your video of, of how a, a paddle player's uh, daily life yeah. looks like. And and I think it uh, went pretty much uh, viral as well on, on the Internet. So, uh, yeah, it, so it, well it, it did. Well. It, did it got quite a lot of views and it was nice to um to get that sort of reaction. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, um, you've got a great team now behind you as well as 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 uh, you you set your mind to it now. So it's um, it's it's what you need to do, and it's great that you're doing that. So when you're on the court, how does that look like? So are you are you actually uh, um, being fed by a, a coach, uh, or or you're sort of uh, having rallies, and and then you're you're so how how similar is it to like a tennis training? And I'm going back to tennis because that's that's all I can pretty much relate to again. <laughs> So uh, how how different does it look like to be on a on a paddle court, and how does a training look like for you? Um, it de uh, it depends on the day. Every day is is different. Uh, the coaches it, in in Madrid, I have to say, it was very well sort of laid out. They had a a, a schedule, a program that they followed. That they all the coaches sort of gathered together in the morning to talk about the session, and then throughout that week, you would work on certain things, and some sessions were 
you had four on a court and you were doing a lot of match play scenarios and sort of drills and rallying and points. And then another another day could be just two on a court doing baskets and feeding it and learning a tactic rather than sort of a specific play. And you would do um, a lot of training in that. And I, I prefer playing than baskets. Baskets to me is a little bit, uh, not fake, but everyone plays good from a basket. Everyone plays well from a basket because you know exactly what shot's going to come. It's a good confidence boost and it's nice to sort of fix maybe a few small things. But to me, I find it much more beneficial to play and to be rallying because that's obviously the most similar situation to a match that you, you can get. But I have to say it was very well um, organised and it was mixed. It was some days was baskets, which I didn't like, but it's it's also an important aspect of it. And in other days was training and matches and sort of um, rallying. And, and that's my favourite part of training. Yeah, 100%. And and I think basket is, is important because you need to, uh, to uh, train a certain shot and you need to yeah. do it a zillion times. What I can say is that I hate it to, to hit um i don't know 160 cross court backhands when when we were warming up because it's it's not it's not too much fun but at the end of the day when 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 that happens and and you've got a shot which you need to make you will do it from your muscle memory yeah of course also so yeah i i do 100 um agree on what you say because that was the same for me in tennis I always love to play matches rather than, you know, when, when I, when I wanted to practice with, with a friend of mine, we, we just went on court, we warmed up for like five minutes and there you go. Match plays. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's where, uh, and, and obviously those are, those are the situations which will uh, make you a better player and, and also a better competitor as well. So what yeah. I, what I feel about that as well, when you're on a tournament and, and, um, and that's that's when when it all comes down to and and I think on a tournament as well if uh, you you need to play a lot of tournaments and I and I do agree with that as well that you need to travel the world you need to play with different people because that's that's gonna build yeah. your confidence your, your yeah it you puts you in, in uncomfortable situations where you you're not in your comfort zone and that's how you you improve you get to a tournament maybe in a new country a new location and and you don't feel so at home. But it's important to still be able to to play your best without with all these other distractions going on, and that's what kind of traveling around the world gives you, playing with different people, meeting different people, and and is is what helps you um, improve. Yeah. So what what's your what's your best result? What what are you most proud of? Um, it's tough to to say. I have a obviously representing Great Britain is a massive achievement for for me, especially now with it growing in the UK. Um, it's still nice to be one of the best players in the, in Great Britain and one of the the important people in the team to try to bring home the good results. And we had a one of my best, my proudest moments was in the qualifying in um in Derby uh, last year to qualify for the World Championships in Dubai. We were one match all uh, in the last match of the the winner of this match qualified, and it was against Germany who we lost to in Qatar the year before in the World Champs, which put us in the qualies. And um, one match all, me and Christian, uh, we had to win the third match on. Uh, it was a pressure situation and we got the job done just about, you know, we didn't play our best. But it's it's those sort of moments where it's so hard to play. You just got to try to find a way through the match, you know, 
playing well or not. You just got to try to, to somehow get over the line and win the last point. And we, we managed to do that. And that was a very happy moment for me. Also playing in, in the premiers and the majors and, and being part of the first sort of massive tournament in the world and playing in the, the tennis venues, like the one in Rome or the one in Qatar, even in Mexico, I wasn't able to play the one in Paris, which would have been amazing to, to be part of the Roland Garros um, sort of arena and that tennis venue, tennis complex there. But playing in Rome, um, where the, the tennis are, and you get treated like a, a king almost in, in those sort of tournaments. And, and that was really fun. Also, I've won two FIPS and just sort of being, is, is now the level is getting really, really high. Um, and I'm starting to see some good results now, like this one in, in London, and I won against um, a really good Dutch pair, which it's always nice to beat. Even though the level is not as high as Spanish pairs, to beat players from Germany or the Netherlands or Sweden, all these sort of countries where they're all we're all progressing similar to each other. There's We're all friends outside the court, but there's always that in a rivalry between us and them because we know if, if we play against a Spanish pair, we can lose. But they've been playing since they were three years old. That was that's all they know. Whereas us, we've got like a we both play in the same sort of time, we're similar sort of age. We're both from other countries that are not from Spain. So there's like bragging rights there, you know, and it's always nice to beat the people from those sort of countries. Yeah, I I, I appreciate that. And then and obviously you know, it it's it's not fair to to compare um, the Spanish speaking people and and obviously the Argentinians and 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 the Spanish uh, with uh, like you guys who have been playing for six to eight years or yeah that sometimes so so yeah it's uh, it's it's kind of a tough one it's it's still an emerging sport and and it's just great to see how quickly it, it emerges. And and now I see the Dutch are actually doing really well, which is, yeah. which is surprising in many ways. Cause uh, I mean, they're, they're good racquetball players in, in general. So racket sports players in, in general, I don't know about racquetball really, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's just interest, interesting to see on, on how the, how that one is evolving. So who's your normal partner? Who, who do you play with? Um, I haven't got like an official Partner, I play sometimes with the GB team. So, uh, Christian, for example, we we we've played a few premiers together, a few other FIPS together. Louis Harris is another member of the GB team, who we've kind of played a few together. But I I kind of haven't got one set partner, which I'm trying to find, but it's not easy because you know when you're not from Spain, you need to sort of build up a reputation or uh, so people know you, you're a bit more recognizable. And I'm starting to get that to where people are asking me to play now in some tournaments but there's a few options I have to play in all these tournaments but I want to try to find my best one so I'm kind of still mixing and matching until I find you know the perfect the one you know I mean that must be so tough as well because um it, well, I was actually thinking about that today um in my car because I am in sort of in limbo in my tennis club um, because there's there's obviously the the guys who are like really really good and and there's there's quite a few guys who are also really good 
uh, and I'm and I'm like in between those two levels. Yeah. And because of that, it's it's quite hard to find a partner. And back home, I had a lot of lot of amazing doubles partners. And I and I knew if if one of them couldn't make it, there was like two, three other ones who I could yeah. actually count on. And that was so good because I knew every inch of movement and that sort of thing. And it's just quite tough as well. And in paddle, I know it, it means a lot more as well that if you're on the left or the right side. Which side are you playing on? I play the right side. And is it better to... Then, then obviously, if you play on the right side, you don't really want to be with a lefty. No, you don't, because you don't want to be with a lefty at all. You want to be with a backhand player. My my style of game is quite. Um, I rely a lot on sort of controlled shot and touches and sort of angles and playing slowly. So I need a player quite dominant and aggressive with a sort of a big smash and quite fast. Um, that's sort of the style that I like to to play with. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I'm I'm on the left. I'm I'm a big smash tennis guy, so <laughs> my backhand is okay. And obviously, with my smashes and and you know all all those shots, I'm 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 quite dominant. Do you know why why that evolved in paddle? Why is the left hand player or the backhand player or whatever the the player who plays on the left hand is is the more sort of uh, attacking? Why why is that? Is there a, is there a... <laughs> straightforward I, I explanation for that it's all to do with the the middle i guess because for example my backhand it would be the middle shot and it means i can't take the middle um for the smash or, or the obviously the the middle is where most of the balls go to especially the lobs they kind of go middle and if you both backhands if you've got two if you've got a lefty playing on the the left side and you've got a right-handed player playing on the right side it means you've got two backhands in the middle which means you if, if a lob goes to the middle it'd be impossible to finish the point and that's where most of the lobs go to now so um i guess it gives you that option if you've got a left-handed player and a right-handed player playing together they've got all of the angles covered with a with a smash or a forehand and um and i guess that's kind of i guess that's why it is i, I mean now it's getting to the point where even the forehand players, everyone's got a, a big smash now. It's kind of getting to this, the the game where if you haven't got a a big smash, you need to have everything else really, really good because most people now, any any lob kind of semi-short, the point's done, you know? Whereas a few years ago, it wasn't so aggressive. Yeah, no, I, I, I can see that nowadays when I um, I am watching quite a bit of paddle. I actually started watching before I started playing and I and I love love to watch. And yeah. it was so so strange. And and now um I, I've been watching today um Stupa and Dinano. Yeah. And these guys are just yeah. unreal. Who's your favorite? I used to love Sanjo. Um he was my favorite for sure. I I based my game a lot around him. Uh, he was same sort of style. He played very slow, amazing hands. Like he was my favorite for sure. But now I'm moving on to probably Tapia is my, I I think he's so fun to watch him um, and Coelho together is, is a great pair. And then obviously on top of that, I, I watched Deneno a lot and Chingotto because they play similar style to me. So it's good to learn from them. But if I had to watch someone, it's probably Tapia because he does things that is just, it's just, amazing to see and it's funny because in 2015 it was my first time playing for great britain the juniors and and there was a guy called 
Tapia playing for Argentina in the under 16s as well. It was just funny to see how where you knew when he when he was watching him play his smash when he was 15 or 16 years old was so in in Mexico as well where the altitude is really really high. Uh, he was smashing from all over the place and the same technique, the same like lazy. Say has or not laziness, but like effortless. That he's not really trying to hit a, a winner smash, but it just just doesn't come back down after after he hits it. It's just um funny seeing how there was a lot of them. Like Momo was there. You had Garrido, and a lot of these um players that played in the juniors. It's funny seeing them now all uh kind of where they're at. So you told me about uh, your result in Rocks Lane and and uh, how um, proud you were on on um, on on the result. And I do congratulate you because obviously it's it's a it was a pretty strong tournament I could see. And uh, and I've been there on on Thursday. I just uh, did a bit of coverage, and it was quite strange because um, part of paddle is that you run out of court. And and obviously in like Rocks Lane, you don't have a spectator court or like a center court. Yeah. You can actually do that. So does that actually happen quite a lot when you guys play that you would run out or that is just another level above of how you play? Um, no, it, it does happen regularly in from anywhere from our level to to above, even but even below. It, it's it's quite a the only difference is when in our sort of level, it's not a guarantee. Almost in the in the professionals, like the sort of the, the main draw warpad tour or that sort of level, when they smash out, it's almost like a guaranteed loss of the point. Whereas in our level, it's still you lose the point probably more times than you win it if it kind of stays around the door. But it's still um, quite a good shot, I would say. You know, but the the guys read it so well that. Most of the time, especially if you're known as having a good smash, you can cover the you run out, and it's almost a not a disadvantage to be able to run out because it often suits a pair that's not so aggressive if you can run out because it's much easier to to put it out by three than it is to bring it back. So if you sort of give them a, a lob, so they have to open up to hit it. It's it's much easier to to run out, but. You know, at, at all our levels now, the but below us, above us, running out, most of the people do it in their own time, in their free time, because it's, it's a fun thing to do. So it gets to the point where that you hit a smash and before you even hit it, they're waiting outside the door. So it can be a disadvantage as well. Yeah, I get you. Uh, so what's your world paddle tour ranking? I play the, there's three circuits. There's the Wapad Tour, the FIP Tour, and, and the A1. Or It used to be called APT, but now it's been changed to the A1. And I have a ranking of about 180 in the FIP Tour because that's the ones that I play, which is, is quite a good ranking because now it's, the level is getting really, really high. And it's the same ranking system as the Wapad Tour. So the number one is LeBron, number two is Galan. It's that um, same level of people. But yeah, the I, my goal is to try to get to 140 by the end of the year. Um, but it's not easy to jump that 40 places because everyone's competing and and you really got to almost now to get to that 140, you've got to do good tournaments consistently and and build up the points and and it's not easy, but it's a challenge and and that's my goal. Yeah, no, I am I'm I'm pretty sure that it's is doable if you if you if you're injury free, if you're obviously uh, choosing yeah. the tournaments well. Um, is it all over Europe pretty much, or is it all over the world? Uh, in terms of, is there like a, 
Um, cause in, in, again, I can just go back to tennis. So there's, there's like obviously lower level, but still same ranking point tournaments in like Asia, I don't know, like New Zealand or something like that. Yeah. And, and then obviously not a lot of players will, will travel there. So is it the same, uh, case in, in pedal yeah. as well, or is it mostly? Yeah. hundred percent. It's, um, they have tournaments all over the world. They have, I would say less than tennis in terms of the ones that are in Asia or America or um, anywhere outside of Europe. The, the the tour is way less. It's not as a high level compared to where it is because a lot of the the Spanish players, it's expensive, especially in tennis. It's worth it. If you go to those, you can win maybe the money back. But in, in paddle, if you go to there's for example, there's a FIP in, in Tokyo. In, it's in Japan, but it's outside Tokyo in july and i and i'm pretty sure there's not going to be that many good pairs I'm, I'm looking to go to that one because it'll be a good chance to earn some points and to um get my ranking up a bit more um and they're the sort of opportunities that you have to take if you're if you can go to them you know i went to a fip in australia uh, a few years back and the level is obviously not as high because the flights are so expensive the hotels the accommodation it all adds up and if you don't win the tournament you're not gonna you're not gonna make the money it's a loss no matter what you do so it comes to the point where you you play the ones that are, are beneficial towards you and these ones in sort of asia in japan in australia even in america because the flights are just so expensive it's um it's a good chance to for other players around europe that are more fortunate to to be able to go to them to build up their points and and get up the the rankings because it's so hard to if you haven't got many points it's so hard to to build them up without going to these sort of tournaments because you play the one in in France or Sweden or Germany anywhere around Europe, and the level is just is, you got the guys that are like fifty in the world six playing. So it's it's unless you're really good, it's so hard to build the points up by playing the ones around Europe. So you got to try to do a bit of both. Obviously, you don't want to only play the ones far away because you're never going to improve like that. The whole point of playing the ones in England, in France, in Sweden is to improve your level as well and play against the best. And for example, I played against a guy called Fran Ramirez and, and uh, Chimero in, in London and we lost in three sets. And that's uh, an amazing result because level for level on paper, they should win more comfortably than that. But it's a good it's a good confidence boost. It's a good um, achievement to, to look at the guys you're playing and walk off court holding your own and almost having a chance to win. So... Um, it's good to play to play both, which is what I I try to do. A hundred percent, and um, and I can just say that that's that's the same thing in like the challenger circuit in tennis because uh, there's there's quite a few guys in um, in from Hungary uh, between um, a hundred and three hundred three to be exact, and and they're all really good players. And and what I always say is that yeah, they can they can definitely win any tennis match. Um, it's just more about the circumstances. It's it's about the grind. It's it's about all that. And and I can yeah. I can definitely see that that's um it makes sense to have a few of these Bangkok tournaments or yeah. you know, if you go to Japan. And that's that leads me to uh the next question. So can you actually make a living out of paddle and and what sort of sponsors do you have? Is the LTA sponsoring you? Uh, I know that had is obviously sponsoring you, but I guess more like with gear. So how does that yeah. work? Yeah. 
Yeah, so um, obviously you can make a living from paddle, especially especially now. Um, there's two ways of, of making a living from paddle. One, you have players like LeBron, Galan, who's number one in the world, who've got, they're getting paid millions and millions a year um, through sponsors and prize money as well. But if you're not Galan, LeBron, then it's not easy to be earning, you know, a million pound or even, I, I think Le, LeBron is on, a few million a year with sponsors like Red Bull, Babala, and um, also he's got a Kuwait brand as well. Um, so these guys are on a lot of really good money. And then you look down the list and you've got players, for example, that are Spanish, who are maybe, let's say, 60 in the world. And they'll be on maybe now decent money. But if you compare that to the number one in Sweden, Simon Vasquez, he's on more money than than them he's level wise he's not at their level just yet he's improving a lot but you know these guys at 60 in the world he's he's earning more than them because he's got better opportunities with sweden with sort of marketing value and and um yeah it is it is possible to make money especially if you're number one in your in your country like england or france these guys are all on really good money and not just money it's also the opportunities you get through different sponsors and adverts and sort of stuff like that. Um, it's definitely easier to make a living if you're from England or from Sweden, Germany, France, wherever it is, um, than it is to be from Spain. Just because if you're from Spain, you've got to be really, really good. Otherwise, it's just you're just another good player. And there's so many out there, you know, so it's hard, hard to be different. Yeah, I, I can I can definitely see that point. And um, who's your sponsor? So is actually the LTA giving you some sort of uh, sponsorship in terms of um, in terms of money or or how does that work the LTA are starting to support us players a bit more with um, funding and also they're looking at sort of opening a, a sort of a paddle academy in Spain um, to try to help us have a, a base out there because you look at a lot of countries and they all kind of have their team training weekends and their always training together and they're improving. Whereas the GB team, you know, you've got a few based in Alicante. You've got some in Madrid, some in Marbella, some are still in England. Um, I was in Dubai. So you kind of were all scattered around the world and it's hard to, you kind of just turn us a tournament. We have a few days before the tournament to play together and practice. And then after the tournament, we don't see each other again for a while. So the other countries have an advantage over us. Um, because they're always training together and learning each other's game and they, they come together and they look like a, a pair that's been playing together for a long time. And LTA want to sort of, now that Paddle side to grow in the UK, they want to help us, um, you know, improve. And one of the ways they're doing that is by making an academy and trying to get us to have more team training weekends and, and more of a team together. So we kind of go to the tournament knowing how my partner plays, who plays best with who, and and rather than trying to figure that out the day before the tournament starts. And um, I wanted to ask you about your gear, because uh, we talked about HAD and and that uh, they are your main sponsor. And, and it's quite funny to see that in, in Paddle, uh, if your racket is something, then your clothing is the same brands 99% of the times as yeah. I've seen it. So... Um, What's your racket? What are you playing with? I play with the Head Alpha Elite. It's a racket that I love, honestly. It's, uh, there's a few with the same design. There's You've got the Alpha, Alpha Pro, 
um, the Delta and the Elite. And they're kind of it's hard, medium or soft, basically, uh, to put it in in easy words. And mine is the soft one. It's, it's good for sort of touch and control shots. Not so much of a power racket. So if you've got a big smash or your game is, is based around that, you would probably go for the Pro, um, which is quite a hard racket, which is better for smash because the ball bounces off a bit more. Whereas mine's got quite a big sweet spot. It's um, very easy to play with. It's nice and light. And and that's the racket that I, I use and, and it suits my style a lot. And how many rackets did they send you? Is it like uh, three, four rackets or how does that work? Um, often they give me two at the start of the year and every time one breaks, they, they keep. So I've got two at all time because it's not the same as tennis where rackets break a bit easier. You can, you know, I know in tennis you've got strings, but like in paddle, the actual racket doesn't break unless you try to break it. At least my racket, I know some rackets have not as long lasting life. Like, so for example, my, some of my friends, they break rackets. My friend Louis, at one point, he was using um Dunlop racket and it was breaking almost once a week with uh, his smash and his style of game. It wasn't the right racket for him because it was too soft or, or whatever the reason was. But my head racket has always been really reliable. It's never broke unless I've sort of clipped it against the fence and sort of chipped it. And But from a smash or from a shot, it doesn't often break so I don't actually need that many rackets because you know I don't need to take that many with me I play with the same racket every tournament it's not like I change rackets for tournaments or whatever so they give me two and throughout the year constantly asking if I need any more any more equipment any more rackets or if I'm all if I'm all sorted and what grip do you use so is it like um uh quite sticky one or is it a dry one or which which one are you using I I use um the normal it's it's not sticky i mean there there is a spray that one of the team uh, sandy he uses spray to sticky but unless we're in a in a place like uh, dubai or qatar where it's really humid and and sweaty i i find that the the grip that i use um is is fine and is there a difference in this is quite a nerdy question because again that's that's the tennis reference is there like a difference in terms of the racket or you actually get the same racket as you can buy in the store um i get the same racket that'll be on the shelf but i think some of the pros there's is, is painted over um or like they have a different racket but it's not the one they're actually using because they don't they prefer the other one but the one that i use is uh from the from the, the store that you could buy but i think i remember one time sanjo i think he used it might not even been a, it was sponsored by head, but he might not even been with a the head racket. It was a maybe like for example, it's not true, but like a Wilson racket with a head cover, something like that. Some of the the pros do that because that racket they find suits them better than other rackets. But the one that I use, like I said, is is just a, the normal head one that you can buy in the store. And um, if you would. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if, if you would like to have a, a bit of a, a stiffer racket, you would just ask for the different model. So it wouldn't be like... Yeah, of course. they they, they I, I, I'm fine with the racket they give me, so I've never been sort of a guy to make a problem out of it. But if, if it wasn't working or I, I like a, a harder racket, then I would say, can I can you send me the Alpha Pro um, to try that one? And they would send it. And if I liked it, they'd give me a demo racket. And if I if I felt like I played better with it, then they would they would send me the, the ones that I, I like. Understood. Uh, we are almost at time, and and I do appreciate that. I'll be, as I say, it, it has been quite a, a hard one to get it together, but it has been flowing really, really easily. So I do thank you for that. 
what's your ultimate goal? What do you want to achieve in pedal? Um, it's a tough one to to sort of say there's one massive goal. Obviously, I want to keep playing and keep traveling around the world uh, to get the best ranking I can. You know, I, I think I have the ability to get really far. A lot of the coaches are, are very complimentary of, of my style, of my game, which is, is a good confidence boost and it makes you believe that you can achieve. I'm not saying I'm going to be number one in the world next week, but, you know, the ultimate goal is to to be number one in the UK, to to have a, a good level behind me, to have a good world ranking and, um, yeah, just to see how far I can go. And I guess, um, in a way, an ultimate goal would be to play some of the WPT tournaments. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I actually, the WPT and FIP are kind of in a, a bit of an argument right now with which circuit is going to take over. But I'm, I'm definitely more on the side of the Premier because the opportunities are, are much better. I prefer playing a circuit that is worldwide, not so um, Spain and Portugal well, just Spain, really, based like in the FIP, you, you look at the calendar, there's more tournaments and you can't play every single one. But there's a lot of um ones, you know, around the world. And I love looking at sort of traveling and choosing a, a, a luxury place to, to play. Like, for example, Tokyo in, in summer. There was Australia a while back in Dubai, in America. These sort of places I, I want to base my year on a, a worldwide circuit, not just going from Madrid to Barcelona to to Granada to wherever it is in in, in Spain. That I mean, this this year, World Pad Tour have improved and they've gone to um a few more places in South America, but it's still compared to the FIP Tour. The FIP Tour is a much more attractive tour for me to play. So ultimately, I want to be playing main draw in the Premiers and sort of walking in and. And getting far in those tournaments, that's the ultimate goal. But, you know, keep working hard and, and let's see where we can go in over the, the next few years. First of all, I wish you to find someone who you can play with all the time. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good start. <laughs> Perfect. Sam, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for your time. And um, I can just wish you all the best. And hopefully I will see you um, soon when yeah. there's, there's a big big tournament going on I'm, I'm i'm more than happy to uh to go and and cheer for you and uh if uh, if you can give me a, a game when you're around in bristol please 100 oh, percent. yeah if you're if you're that dominant left-sided player that you said then who knows it could be a future pair <laughs> perfect thank you very much cheers no thanks for having me see you later Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to the seventh episode of the Pedal Podcast. A few announcements, or not even really an announcement, but um, I really wanted to finish this uh, pod last week, uh, and I couldn't because I, I played seven times uh, different sports, and I've been to quite a few fascinating um, openings in terms of pedal courts, and, and uh, we, we had uh, a lot of uh, meetings uh, I had a lot of networking and also uh, I met some unbelievably exciting people. And also, one more thing is that this week uh, we will publish, both Norby and myself, Norby Nemchek, who's uh, who's the peddler, 
and uh, he has a really, really good show, but you will hear about it. And also uh, there's uh, um, something cooking what we are what we are working on and and uh, you will hear the first episode of of a joint uh, monthly uh, podcast uh, which will focus on the pro tour in general but you know what's happening in in paddle as well and um, I'm gonna be also coming up with a special edition this week so this is gonna be a really really uh, exciting week in general and um, I'm hoping that you will you will enjoy that I'm uh, pretty busy as well but please let me know what you thought and um and yeah just enjoy the battle podcast thank you everyone <laughs>